At the Beanstalk Group, we love what we do, which is selling real estate in Los Angeles for top dollar. We specialize in smart, honest, detail-oriented representation with white glove service throughout the process. One of our favorite parts of the job is working with amazing people and doing good things for them. It's an honor to do what we do every day. Call us at 323-425-4918. Let's start. The purpose of this year, first of all, welcome back uh, to the school year. Um, we keep every year we switch the time, and it's different for a different set of moms. Um, so we keep playing that. We have an idea this year that the Rosh Chodesh Shirim are going to be a different time than these uh, hopefully weekly shares or by, you know, semi-weekly shares. The purpose of this shear today is so that you go into Rosh Hashanah knowing what's going on. There's always a little bit of anxiety and a little bit of the holidays begin to blend with each other. And you remember seeing like people throwing around like figs and stuff like that, but there's confusion. So I want you, number one, to go in. It's three parts. Number one is that you should go into the shear just knowing some of the basic halachas that everyone should know for Rosh Hashanah. Um, and even on an advanced level, I think a lot of people just don't know them. Come, feel free to go in, no problem. And after the halacha section, I want to give you a quick run through of the of the tefilos of the let me get one of the tefilos of the day, so you know what you're davening about. And number three, I want you to be prepared. So if anybody if there's a lull at the table, you guys are going to be ready. You're going to have you're going to have more halachic tefila and vartora knowledge than anybody else, God willing, um, at your table. Now, hopefully, at your table, you have people who know stuff also, but. But you will be ready. You'll be like, you do Rosh Hashanah like a boss, as they say, uh, this year. So let's begin. Uh, first of all, there's a custom called Hatarat Nadarim. Hatarat Nadarim is the idea of annulling our vows. We all made promises, commitments. This is what we're going to do this year. This is what we're going to work on. And it never ended up happening. So we have a special prayer called Hatarat Nadarim, which is done in front of uh, sort of mock judges who stand in front of us to acquit us of it. We do it here with our middle school girls. Uh, and middle school boys, uh, we do a tarat nadarim. Now, if you think in your recollection, I bet you most of you don't remember ever since grade school really going for a tarat nadarim. Why did it get canceled for women? So it's not canceled for women. It ideally should be done, but the w- for either historical sneeze reasons of going out to find a public place to do a tarat nadarim, or for just by virtue of the fact that people's husbands can take care of it for them, or the third reason uh, women sort of don't do it as much is because we think about it Yom Kippur night at Kol Nidre. So that's number one. If you're wondering what happened to your Atar Sadarim, you could say it's mine and I'm going for it and find a place where you can get it. And we could tell you the time we're doing it here for the middle school. Or you could just say I'll ask uh, my significant other to do it. Or number three, just think about it Kol Nidre night at Yom Kippur, which is a similar idea of annulling your vows. So you can get it in one of uh, those three ways. Number two. Okay, lighting candles. Lighting candles is always confusing uh, for people. How many brachos? What do we say? I'm going to try to be sensitive to the various uh, minhagim. So, uh, I know everybody's got different minhagim, but basically there is two brachas, lahadlik ner, shalyantif, and shechianu. Chabad chasidim make lahadlik ner shalyom hazikaron. That's what they say for Rosh Hashanah. But uh, for everyone else, it's lahadlik ner and shechianu on Rosh Hashanah night. On the second night, you should try to have some new clothing or perhaps a new fruit in front of you uh, when you're making, when you're lighting. The reason is because Rosh Hashanah, there's a debate whether or not Rosh Hashanah is considered one long day or two days. And therefore, on the side that assumes it's one long day, there may not be a need for Shechianu because it's just continuing what you did the night before. So because of that, you wear some new clothing or you have out a new fruit already um, by the candle lighting. Okay. Now, this is where everybody gets confused because everybody's bringing out new fruits and apples and and, and and everything's just confusing. So let's just organize why, what's going on with the new fruits, the shechianus, the two different things. Meaning like this. 
there's something called new fruit and there's something called simane halayla. Those fancy fruits that you buy um, that you never have the whole year, that's your shechianu. The other stuff you're putting together, like the head of a goat or beets or carrots, by the way, you have a handy-dandy chart on the back of your packet if you want to know what to buy in the market just to have it ready. Okay, let me explain how these two things develop so you understand what's the difference and why we get confused. One problem is that on the second night, as I said, you have this shechianu conundrum. We usually make a Shechianu on the second night of Yantif, but Rosh Hashanah is different because it might be one long day. So because it's one long day, we're not sure about that Shechianu. Because we're not sure about that Shechianu, the custom developed to have a new fruit. That's separate. That's only a second night thing. Separate from that, on the first night of Rosh Hashanah, we want to have these symbolisms, these good omens, these fruits at the table or foods at the table that remind us and conjure up certain ideas. The carrot's not going to save your life, but the point is the carrot reminds you of what you need to work on um, this year. So the chart in the back is the Simone Halayla. It's really supposed to be for the first night. These are the things that are symbolic, customs, nothing to do with the Shechianu, really nothing. Just some of these things you don't eat the whole year, so people do end up making a Shechianu. That's why. But really, your Shechianu is a night two thing. Your Simonim, if you make a fancy Simonim platter, it's mainly for the first night. You're welcome to bring it out the second night because you probably bought too many random stuff and you don't know who's going to finish it. So that's why it comes out the second night. By the way, Lubavitchers, I think, specifically do not bring it out the second night. But again, everyone else does bring it out um, on does bring it out on both nights. So again, let's review. This is, this is like an important distinction. There's something called needing a Shechianu on the second night, not the first night. And then there's the Simonim, which is mainly a mitzvah on the first night. So what should be the protocol? This should be the protocol. So at home, you have Kiddush. Right at the end of Kiddush, um, you make a Shechianu. After the Shechianu, um, you sit down, drink wine, sit down. And then you make a Bore Priha Eitz and taste a small piece of the new fruit. The advantage of doing it this way is because you just did the Shechianu. So again, based on what I'm saying, taking a small piece of the new fruit, what night is this? First night or second night? Second night. The new fruit thing is on the second night. So the second night, you make Kiddush, Shechianu, right? Make a Bore Priya Eitz on your new fruit. Don't make another Shechianu because you just did at the Kiddush or you just did at the candle lighting. So there's not another need for a Shechianu. Um, some do the ha'etz after the hamotzi. It's easier like that because you're not sure what to do with the bracha achrona after you eat the apple. So it's easier just to do it in the meal. Not the apple, the new fruit. So let's review. Second night, kiddush, shechianu, sit down, drink some wine, either make your bore priya eats on your new fruit then. For example, for us this year, we'll use our starfish. Right, starfruit, whatever it is, that starfruit. Use that starfruit then. Starfish will be a strange Shechianu, but it might be Shechianu nonetheless. Uh, starfruit then, then Hamotzi, and continue your meal. Or you could do Kiddush, Shechianu, drink wine, make Hamotzi, and then do your new fruit then. The Simonim, okay, the Simonim, again, are the first night. Your Shechianu is not the first night. It could be one of your new fruit are, um, by the way, there's nothing wrong with do, you doing a Shechianu the first night as well. But I'm just letting you know when you need each. The Simonim are for the first night, the Shechianu is for the second night. So the order that you go in in terms of the new fruits are the seven, you follow the order of the seven species of Israel. And therefore you have, uh, you know, you have to see if you have, let's look at our chart and we'll tell you what's first. Take a look at the back.
So people like starting with dip the apple in the honey. Technically speaking, that might not be first, especially if you have a date, which is a fruit of Israel, one of the seven shiva minim of Israel. So the date should technically come first. The reason why your apple dipped in honey has been coming first for people is such precious associations with Rosh Hashanah that there is a opinion, according to the Rambam, that usually you're supposed to put first the seven fruits of Israel. But something which is so precious to you may trump that. So that's why I think the Minag developed the apple. The frumest way to do this, if you want to do this right, and like everyone's like, wow, that she's really from The frumest way to do this is leave all your fruits in the kitchen. Leave all your fruits in the kitchen. Just bring out the apple. So it's not a conflict with the other fruits. Bring out the apple. You dip that in the honey, right? So let's say the way we'll do it. We're going to do Kiddush. We'll, uh, shechianu, uh, first night Shechianu is every night. And then you drink wine. We're going to make Hamotzi. And then we'll make a Bori Priya 8. Dip our apple in the honey. Okay? After that, you bring the platter out to the table that has all the new fruits. So if you want to have your table looking nice when the guests get there of all the colorful new fruits, have it there. When the show's about to start, pull that plate back in and just have the apple there. Because you're going to put the apple first and you're putting it before all the Israel fruits. And that may be that may be a problem. Okay, So that's the right way um, to do uh, all of this. And in the back you have a list of the Simone Halayla. You have the beet, the carrots, the dates. These are not because you eat them suddenly. This is going to change in your life. The way I always look at these is these are symbolic, physical, tactile reminders of the things you're davening for in your life. It's your prayers and your actions that make the difference. It's not going to be whether you ate the carrot or not. You may not even like leeks, right? Oh, you're not going to have the special blessing of the leek if you don't like leek? No, you don't have to have the leek. But it's the idea behind it. I saw beautiful... Well, I'll get to it soon. Leave that aside for now. Now, why round challah? Where did this round challah thing come from? Right? Where did this round challah thing come from? So there's another thing most people don't know. It's a good instructional piece you could say at your uh, Rosh Hashanah meal. Is that in the every Shabbos in the Beit Hamikdash there was something called lechem upon him. There was the showbread that was in the Beit Hamikdash every single week. There was the showbread. It was shaped like a canoe, shaped like a canoe, so that you could stack them twelve loaves on top of each other. That's why our lechem Mishnah, our two breads on Shabbos, look like a canoe. Who made that shape up? It just braids nicely. Where did that come from? Because that was the shape of the bread in the Beit Hamikdash. That was replaced every Shabbos. It was not replaced on Yom Tif. So therefore, to show that, we switch it out. And on Yom Tif, instead of challah, which shaped like a canoe, if you can, we try to make it round just to differentiate. But it's not about the round. I know cycle of the year, beginning of the year and all that. But hypothetically speaking, we're just trying to say, try to get a challah a little different than the standard canoe challah to differentiate between Shabbos and a Yom Tif, but and Chag. And that's where it comes from. That's why we get the challah like that. Yes? So does that mean that technically every Yom Tif should be round? Or a different shape than the canoe. And I would say, if it's hard to find, you're already putting in the raisins on Rosh Hashanah. That's a differentiation. It's just a differentiation from the fact that it's different than your typical um, Shabbos challah. But again, with all these things, you have to know the balance between what's essential and what's uh, customary. And uh, this is not the most important thing, but it's good for you to know why the places are all selling round challah around uh, Yantif time. And hypothetically, the bakeries should be selling it on Shavuos uh, as well. Because it's a it's a yantif thing, not necessarily Rosh Hashanah. Now shofar, you want to try to get there in time for the bracha for the shofar. Um, but if not, if you don't get there in time for the bracha of the shofar, you just jump right in. But you turn to your sitter and you make the blessings yourself on the shofar. Sephardic women do not. Sephardic women do not make the bracha on shofar. Um, if they hear it, they hear it. If not, no. 
But um, Ashkenazi women, when you come in, if you miss the bracha, you say the bracha yourself, and then you listen there. How much do you need? Uh, women should ideally, they just need 30 blasts. They don't need the whole hundred set. And when rabbis announce there's no talking from the first blast to the last one, that's just a gimmick for rabbis to find a way to leverage you into not talking um, because they don't know what else to do. But ideally speaking, uh, once you have the first set of 30, you are technically going to be done. Tashlich, where we throw out our sins. That's done the second afternoon of Rosh Hashanah. Um, very often you're not near a, a body of water um, where you live. And number two, even if you are, it's usually not ethical because it belongs to somebody else um, and things like that. So we often do this during the week. And you just try to get it done before Hashanah Rabbah. That's the right time. Try to get it done, your Tashlich Mitzvah, um, before Hashanah Rabbah. And with all these things, these are symbolisms. The Iker is Kavanas Halev, your heart, your intention, what you're davening for, what you're asking for. If for whatever reason you're going to be on a plane for Rosh Hashanah to the end of the story without ever stopping, and you'll never be by a body of water, like just say the prayers of Tashlich. The, the idea is what's important when it comes to something like uh, Tashlich. Let me review now some of the prayers of Rosh Hashanah so you know what you're saying and what you're getting into. The first prayer I want to start with is, um, let's see what I put here. Yeah, Mincha Air of Rosh Hashanah. That's my favorite Mincha of the year. And those of you who do not customarily say Mincha, I, I prefer that one. I like that one. The reason why it's a great Mincha, because I saw Dvar Torah from the Belzer Rebbe, and it's amazing, and therefore it really animates my Mincha Air of Rosh Hashanah. Um, the Belzer Rebbe says the following. If you look at the Mincha for right before Shashanah, it's a standard Mincha. The same mincha you would say any day. What's in the standard mincha you would say every single day? There's a paragraph that says, Baruch Aleinu et Hashanah Hazot. God bless this year. That's in our Shmon Esrei all the time. Says the Belzer Rebbe, you're saying mincha probably two minutes before the year's over. It's over. So maybe delete that bracha. I mean, he's speaking sarcastically. You're not going to delete a bracha Shmon Esrei, but he's saying like, like maybe check out at that point. Like, what's the point? You only got two minutes left in the air. So he says, because Yeshua Hashem keherifayin. God could change things in the blink of an eye. Yeshua Hashem Keherifayin. God changes things in the blink of an eye. He doesn't need a full year to change your life. You have that prayer right at the end of the year and everything could change right from that moment, right at that spot. And therefore, Baruch Aleinu Tashanah Hazot, that Mincha Erev Rosh Hashanah. A main feature of the davening over all of the Yontif, you're going to keep hearing them saying as you're like ruffling through pages, um, starts with Slichot. It's there in Rosh Hashanah, Sukkot, Yom Kippur. It's the Yud Gimel Midot HaRachamim. The Yud Gimel Midot HaRachamim are Hashem. It's, I'll give you the backdrop. It's uh, after the Jews sinned with the golden calf, it seemed like there was no hope. And God taught Moshe a password. I'm going to give you a code breaker to fix everything. And that code breaker is these words. Hashem, Hashem, Kel Rachum Bechanun, Erech HaPayim, Reb Chesed Right? You say these 13 phrases of asking God for forgiveness and it unleashes Mechila in your life. That's why we keep saying it over and over and over again. And many shuls, they sing it together. Everyone says it together. You're supposed to say it with others, not alone, because it's a community prayer. It's a Tzibor prayer. Now I was thinking about it. This is a new insight this year. I was thinking about it. Why do we say it over and over? It's saying, God, you're forgiving. God, you're good. God, you're kind. God, you're this. Like, I know it's, it's a question in all of davening, but God needs to hear over. It's like, it's say it once and move on. Telling him over and over, you're kind, you're good, you're forgiving, you're loving. And God is saying, that's the way you're going to get forgiveness. I want to hear you tell me how good I am. Come on, keep going. Say it again. Tell me again how much you love me. What is that? What is that about? So I was thinking perhaps the following shot. What it means by saying, Hashem, Hashem, Kel Rachum, Machan, and Erech is you're asking God to make your heart like his heart. 
Hashem, you're forgiving. You let people go. You let people off the hook. You get over it. You move past things. Make us like that. Make our heart like that. We want to be that way too. We want to feel that way for other people. We want to feel broken for other people. It doesn't bother us anymore when we see somebody on the street who doesn't have anything. We want to be bothered again. That's the Yudgim Amidah Sarachim. We're saying it because we're asking Kaddish Baruch Hu to be like Hashem. When I when I thought of this idea, I, it, it fit perfectly. I saw an idea from Rav Nevensal. Rav Nevensal is the really the Rav of Yerushalayim, the Tzaddik of Yerushalayim. He always has a smile on his face. He has a philosophy from his Rebbe, Rav Shlomo Zalman Orbach, that it's unfair for you not to have a smile on your face because your walking around miserable is hurting others, and that's not fair. You want to have your own misery, it's fine, but it's not fair to take it on. There's always a smile on his face, no matter what. It's his, it's, all the students from Shlomo Zalman Orbach are, are like that. So he says the following. He says that, why do we dip the apple in the honey? Right? To have a sweet new year. You're going to have a sweet new year if you, you know if everything works out. What does not do with the apple in the honey? So he says, we dip the apple in the honey so that we're sweeter this year. We're asking God, make us kinder. Make things be able to roll off a little bit easier. We should be sweeter this year. That's the reason for the uh, for the dip the apple in the honey, says uh, says Rav Nevinsal. I think that fits nicely with our Yud Gil Midas Harachim Dvar Torah. Then when you get into the davening, you have a certain structure, the most important Musaf of the year. Perhaps one of the most important Tfilas of the year. You got to choose one, by the way. Side point, there's a great opinion of the Radvaz. The Radvaz says if you have one day to daven, only one, and you're in prison, his case is a Jew who was thrown into jail, and the warden is giving him one day to daven, so the Radvaz says perhaps Yom Kippur? No. Perhaps Purim? No. Today. That very day. So the most important prayer is the one that's right in front of you, always. But if we're making a hierarchy of prayers, of tefillah, the most, one of the most important tefillahs is the Musaf of Rosh Hashanah. Really try to get a good one on that one. There are great uh, Sidurim in English that translate and give you meaning behind it. I forgot. There's like a mahogany one. Uh, I forgot the name of the safer. Um, Pathway to Prayer. What? Pathway to Prayer. Thank you. Pathway to Prayer. Ashkenaz edition, Sfarad edition, Ari. They have all different kinds. They're amazing. Are there like and thoughts that you should focus on? Okay. So this is one of There is a three-part structure to this Musaf that are the three core themes. There is Malchiot. Malchiot is kingship, coronating God. Zichronot is memories. And there is Shofrot, the sound and the call of the shofar. Um, what I'm going to do is put a post-it on that. Because in the third section of today's shir, which is ideas in Divrei Torah, I'm going to go and explain each of them. And if I forget one, let's come back before the end so you understand each of those three. But those are the three main themes of the Musaf. It's divided into three, the Musaf, and there's Psukim backing up each one. Coronating God, God remembers, and the Shofar call. Those are the three main themes of that Musaf, and that's what, what ought to be on your mind. What that means, I'll share with you soon. Also, another thing to know when you're davening, there are special phrases, like Hamelach HaKadosh. Use the sitter, look inside, because there are special phrases that we change out in the Shemona Esrei during this season. Instead of calling God Hakela Kadosh, the Holy God, we call him Hamelech Kadosh. God's position changes. God's position never changes. God is the unchanging changer, uh, to use philosophical terms. So what does it mean God changed his role? So let me tell you something, a, a great idea in Hashkafa, which applies throughout all of Judaism. I met a guy who came to me and asked me, why can't we bring a Torah book into the bathroom? You think God really cares? God's everywhere. God created the whole world. You think he cares that there's a you bring a safer into the bathroom? So I filed that question away. I saw in the safer Nefesh Chaim by Rav Chaim Velazhin the following idea. 
It's called Mitzido Mitzidenu. From our vantage point, from his vantage point. You're right. From God's vantage point, there is no difference. But from our vantage point, it cheapens it. When you bring a safer in, you're right, God could care less. But you, you diminish the value of what you just did. Um, you know, someone told me that they got upset when they were uh, proposed to. They were proposed in the uh, in, in the stairwell of a hotel, right? She made him repropose, right? So, no, no, no way it's happening like this. Right? It, it's by value the same, yeah. But from our mitzido mitzideno, from God's vantage point, everything's perfect. But from ours, it cheapens it. That's why we, there's a big emphasis in Judaism how you dress. What's the difference? God loves everyone. God's forgiving. Yeah, but you walk in differently. You can't tell me you walk in the same way when you walk into a room with a suit than when you walk into a shorts. It's it's a, it's mitzidenu. It's from our vantage point, not God's. God, you're right. God can tolerate everything. It's you who doesn't tolerate everything, and that's the difference. So why does God change roles? God doesn't change roles. God's always the same. But you now to re- relate to God as melech, as king. The role changes to one of king, and that will have certain differences, and therefore you have to be sensitive to those insertions in the Shemona Esrei prayer. Um, the last piece of the davening that you need to know is really the um, kavanat of the shofar. What mindset do you have during the shofar? So I want to give you um, two classic ones and a new a new mindset to have during shofar blowing. One classic one is that that's the sound that we're coronating God as king. It's the call. It's the bugle call. You know, when, you, when you're blowing out, here comes the king. That's the shofar. That's one kavanah. God is the king. I'll get to that soon, why that's important and why that's such a big deal. Number two, it's not just God is the king. Rambam says, Uru Wake up everybody from your slumber. It's, a, it's an alarm. It's a wake up alarm. So a second interpretation is not that it's just a, um, not that it's just a coordinating God is king, but it's to wake us up. I saw two weeks ago an idea from the Arizal. It's such an amazing idea. The Arizal says those are all true, but they're surface level. They don't scratch the inner essence of what chauffeur blowing is all about. What chauffeur blowing is truly all about is that you are becoming Hashem. What does that mean? Let me explain that. In Kabbalah, there's something called a Merkava. A Merkava means we're a chariot, or primarily the Avot and the Imahot were chariots to bring godliness into the world. So imagine there's a ball called godliness and the avot were driving it around and dropping it off everywhere in the world. We now, our job is to become a merkava for Hashem in this world through our kiddush Hashem, through the chesed we do, through the good deeds. We bring the chariot that brings God here into the world. How did God create us? He breathed, he breathed into us life. So we're doing the same thing with the shofar. We're doing like God. We're breathing life into the world. The world is suffering. The world is crumbling. There's so much sadness and heartache. And with the shofar, we're saying this year, we're the ones who are going to bring more life to the world. We're going to be like a Kaddish Baruch Hu. Why, that Dvar Torah fits nice with the, you can put it back with the Yud Gimel Midas Arachim Dvar Torah, that we're not at praising God all day. We're asking God to change us. Break our hearts for what breaks your heart. And that's the idea of blowing the shofar. The idea of blowing the shofar is saying we want to be like you. Just as you breathe life into the world at all times, we want to breathe chayas and life into the world at all times. And that's the Arizal's deeper idea of shofar. You are standing now, you as the blower, meaning those who listen are also the blower. You're just yotze through, through him. 
but you are now standing as God did, breathing life into the world. You're committing this year to breathe life into the universe. And I think it's a beautiful idea. We're here to make the world better, not to hurt people, not to harm people, but to bring them more life. And, and, and so many people really do need um, more life in this world. They need, they need more reason to live. We're now at the third section. Okay, so you get, I gave you a background in some of the halachas of Rosh Hashanah, so you know what you're doing in terms of the laws. Because people are going to be bringing out figs left and right. You've got to know when they, where they go, when they come, so you know how to do this. By the way, during the day, there's nothing wrong with bringing out new fruits too. If you, I mean, again, people buy them in abundance and you want to spread the wealth. But the new fruit, the key is the second night. Now, um, and by the way, that means you want to make sure that it has not been out at the table yet. So put, keep one new fruit away for the second night before you do your new fruit display. Now I want to share with you some nuggets on Rosh Hashanah, some Divrei Torah, and some ideas for Rosh Hashanah so that you're, you're ready to go and you have what to say. So here we go. First idea. Right before the shofar is blowing, everyone's coming back into the shul, most shuls have a break at that time, or you're just showing up, and they're all saying something. Everyone's just mumbling something. They're saying, Lamanat Seach Livnei Korach, multiple times over and over. Seven times is the traditional minag. Moroccans have a different minag, 13 times, different minhagim. Laminat seach livnei korach over and over. It's a, it's a tehill. It's a song for the children of korach. What an amazing message before the shofar. It's a song. Yeah, it's in Tilm. I don't remember which by which one it is. But it's in the standard art scroll high holiday sitter. It's right before the shofar blasts. So laminat seach livnei korach is an amazing message right before the shofar. Why? Korach was the worst guy. I mean, he tried to overthrow Moshe and Aaron and destroy the whole community. And what are we saying? There still is hope. It might be too late for him, but his children. Lam Natsach Livnei Korach. It's a song for the children of to the children of Korach. Right before the shofar blowing, when all of us have thought it's too late, I've made a mess of things, I've destroyed my life, I've gone too far. It's not. Lam Natsach Livnei Korach. The children of Korach have made it there. You still have a shot. You still have a chance. You still have an ability to do this. Next idea. Something nice to say on the honey. Honey comes out, and you say over the Abnenezer. Break this one out, everybody blown away at your uh, pace, at your face uh, at your Rosh Hashanah table. What's with the honey? Says the Abnenezer, a bee is forbidden to eat, but the honey that comes from it is a new creation, and it's fine, permissible, not even permissible. It's recommended. That's the message. The old you was a mess. The old you kept. You know, ruining things. The old you made a lot of mistakes. The old you didn't really daven all that much. What you're doing on Rosh Hashanah is you're transforming the old you, which was less kosher, into honey. From that itself, from the very thing which is usher, it's usher for you to eat. If you eat a bee, you'd violate multiple lavin in one shot, multiple negative commandments. Yet the very thing that comes from it is sweet and it's perfect for our Rosh Hashanah table. So that honey dvar Torah ties into your korach dvar Torah. That from Korach should come people who are going to sing about before the shofar blowing? Yes, from the bees will come honey. From that which is not kosher will come kosher. And that's what you call tikkun, to use Kabbalistic terms. You're repairing on Rosh Hashanah. Um, next, this is a nice idea. Shofar. The Gemara tells us in Rosh Hashanah 27b, the shofar should be such that if you hold it in your hand, you could see the narrow side on one side and the wider side on the other. That's how you're supposed to hold it. What's the message? Says the Ben Ishchai. When life seems narrow, constricted, under pressure, under stress, there's no way out, I'm trapped, I'm stuck, please do understand that on the other side, everyone else is seeing 
a way out, space, room, expansiveness, um, a relieving of that stress. So what seems to you as in your face, pressure and stress, understand that from the other side, everyone can see a way for you to come out. It's Meaning it's only your perception that sees it small and constricted. But everyone else is seeing for you a better way, a higher way, a more empowering way. And that's the other side of the shofar. So both reveal itself from its hands. There's the side that unfortunately we always see, and there's the side that the world can see at the same time. That's the Beni Shchai. Here is, uh, if you're a story person, a good mushal, tell over. Amazing mushal from the Sanza Rebbe. The Sanza Rebbe says that... Uh, he has a mushal of a king who lost a major war, major battle. This was a big blow. And he wants to figure out how it happened. And he finds out that some of his soldiers were drunk. And he goes to see them. He rides into town and he sees they're still drunk. And he's in shock. How could you do this in one of the most important battles of our, uh, you know, uh, of my reign? And he sees the guy still drinking. And the king says, you know what? This must be a really good drink. If if he was willing to give up everything, possibly lose his life for this drink, the king takes a swig of the drink and he spits it out. It's the most disgusting thing he has ever tasted in his life. It's horrendous, horrific. How could anybody possibly like this? And he looks, nods his head, and just goes back to his goes back to his throne. What's the idea behind the mushal? The Sanzarov says that God comes down on Rosh Hashanah, and he realizes. We had so many important battles this year to fight. There were so many things in this world that were not solved, from poverty to, to homeless to everything. There were so many battles that were not solved. What were you doing this whole year? He sees we were loafing around. We were, God knows, doing who knows what and wasting our time. So he said, you know what? Maybe it's something enjoyable, exciting. And then when God sees how garbage it actually was, the, what we were doing with our time, the drink we were taking was actually so not enjoyable God just in self-pity says, you know what? I forgive them. This is their, This is really what they lost. They, they gave up me for. I feel bad for them is this, if this is what they gave me for. And the Sanzarov says, that's the Mechila of Rosh Hashanah. It, God tastes our sin, so to speak, and realizes this is not the main course. This is nothing. What you guys did, this wasn't the real, this wasn't really living. And I'm going to give you another chance. That's the Sanzar Mashal. Now, um, this is from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. This is an incredible thought from the Lubavitcher Rebbe about the shofar. So we said before that one of the themes of Musaf, you could put this back by your Musaf, is coronating God, kingship, coronating God. Says the Lubavitcher Rebbe, if we're going to coronate God, you expect us to break out the brass trumpet. You expect us to break out um, the whole marching band. We're coronating God. But no, we have this horn of an animal, this measly little looking thing. And the sound is never all that really impressive. Sometimes once in a while a little bit. But really these weak shvach sounds. Says the Lubavitcher Rebbe, it's God telling us, I'm not asking from you the full USC marching band. I'm just asking for you to make the most simple sound possible. from Not even from your best you. From the most animal part of you. Just bring me your most basic sound. And already that will bring me into your life. God is asking us just to open up a little way, a little crack. And that's the idea of the shofar. It's not meant to be the glorious sound of 40 trumpets and everything together. It's supposed to be the fact that God says, I will be the king in your lives. Just I just need a little something from you. Something small and so simple. A movement, a step forward, a reach forward, a, an olive branch forward. And that's enough. That'll be enough. To quote Hamilton. Now, Rav Cook, the next idea. I want to show you this idea from Rav Cook. Um, anything Rav Kook touches to me is, is, is gold, is unbelievable. 
1933, Rav Kook gave a speech in the old city, in Yerushalayim. Now understand what was happening in 1933. Hitler rose to power and everything was beginning to change for the Jewish people. Suddenly, life in Eastern Europe was not going to be the same anymore. Um, it was a very stressful, intense time. And Rav Kook got up in Israel and he spoke about three types of shofars. And this is a classic and legendary shofar. He says, if you learn the Gemara, there's a perfect shofar. Um, the perfect shofar has no cracks in it. It comes from, you know, a, a ram's horn and it's narrow at the beginning, wide at the top. So he says, that's the sound that of God calling to his people and it inspires the tzaddikim. It represents the tzaddikim who hear that pristine call of God and, and it wakes them up. It's Avram's supreme love of God and dedication by the Kedus Yitzchak. Um, it's the call of the shofar that inspired the Ramban to come back to Israel. Uh, the Bartanura, the students of the, uh, the Vilna Gon, uh, Baal Shem Tov, all of them to come back to Israel. They heard the call of that perfect shofar. But there's a second shofar. And the Gemara talks about a second level of shofar that's not as ideal, but still kosher. Says Rav Kook, there's a second shofar. It's a less optimal form of waking and coming back to Israel. The shofar calls us to return home, to come back to our homeland, to the land of our ancestors, to live as a free people, to raise our family with Jewish country, Jewish culture, Jewish foods. It, they're not coming because it's the perfect place to keep mitzvahs and it's the eclipsing of what Avram did with Yitzchak. They're coming because it's home. It's, it's where we can live with Jewish identity and Jewish culture. It's still a kosher shofar. It's still a kosher shofar. And he says there's a third type of shofar. And the one who documented the speech wrote down at this point, Rav Cook started to cry. There's a third type of shofar. The least desirable shofar comes from an animal that was not kosher. Say an ibex. Comes from an ibex. And he says, it's not ideal. It's very bidyevid. And if you have no other shofar, you can still use it. That shofar represents the wake up call that comes from the persecutions of the anti Semitic nations, threatening the existence of the Jewish people in Africa, in Eastern Europe, in the Middle East, wherever Jews have lived, that threat that forces them to move and come to Israel or in France in modern times. That's the third shofar. It's the call of the impure animal coming from the enemies of the Jewish people calling you to return home. Said Rav Kook, may we all be Zoha to return home and come home with the call of the great and kosher shofar, the shofar tahora that we hear on every Rosh Hashanah. So that was Rav Kook's The Three Shofars. It's a beautiful, beautiful idea. I'll share with you three more thoughts and we close it out. Rav Zushia of Anapoli was, he's the very famous Hasidic Rebbe. He's the famous Rav Zushia from the story, right? His famous line is like a, it's like, a, it's like one of those uh, bump, memes or bumper stickers, right? God's not going to ask, uh, God will not ask me why I wasn't so-and-so. He's going to ask me why I wasn't Zushia. God can only ask you to be you, not somebody else. That's Zushia's famous line. Um, he's not known for extensive scholarly work because his whole life was dedicated to propping up his brother, the Noam Elimelech. He did everything for his brother. There's one story where he stuck himself in an oven uh, to make sure that his uh, his brother was spared from an anti-Semitic attack. Uh, a lot of great story. It, make a great movie. Uh, Rav Zushia and Eli Melech. Uh, very dramatic. So Rav Zushia um, was very supportive of his brother. His whole life was dedicated to him. But the few divrei we have of him are just beautiful. That one is one of the most famous, Zushia. But here's another one. 
The idea with tshuva, it's so hard. It's so difficult. So just begin. Just start. Says Rosh what does it mean, just start? He says, you know what? I decided to just start. I took the word tshuva, tough, shin, vav, beis, hey, and said, let me just start. Let me just do half the word, not the whole word. So you take the tough of tshuva, and it stands for tamim tihiyeh im Hashem alokecha. Just be sincere. Be real. Be honest. Very Hasidic idea. Our original Hasidim were very, be honest. If your prayer is not going, just be honest and say it straight out to God. Tamim tiyeh im Hashem alokecha. Sincerity. The shin, shaviti Hashem lenegdi tamid. I will place God in front of me at all times. Wherever I am, God is always there. There's no place that God is excluded from. And vav, vahafta l'recha kamocha. The primary reason that we are alive on earth is to take care of other people. Vahafta l'recha kamocha. Just start. Tshuva's hard. Just the beginning, he said. So I'll just do the first three letters. Tamim tiyem Hashem alokecha. Shin shaviti Hashem lenegdi tamid. And vav, vahafta l'recha kamocha. Two more left. Fascinating thought that I saw from the Bilvavi Mishkan Evne. BME for, for short. Okay, the Bilvavi Mishkan Evne says, it's incredible. It's such a simple thought. I don't know why no one's ever said it. Chu is the only mitzvah where the goal is to delete the mitzvah. Your whole goal is that you get to a level where you don't need tshuva. It's the only mitzvah in the world where God is saying, please delete me. It's unbelievable. It, you just let that sit for a little bit afterwards when you're driving home. It's the only mitzvah where you're trying to phase it out. Your goal is to phase it out. You don't phase out matzah, you're yotzeh, and then you're going to do it again, you're going to do it again, you're going to do it You're not trying to phase it out. Etrog and lulav, you're not trying to phase it out. Tshuva, you're hoping that next year there'll be nothing to do tshuva for. You just get it perfect. It's the one mitzvah that God's goal is, come and delete this mitzvah. Last thought. I said one of the themes of the Shemona Esrei is malchus, coronating God. So... There's two ways to look at that that I think are quite empowering. The first, the idea of coronating God means putting God at the center. Putting God, it's not always about you. Most of the times that we're offended by this one, that one said that it's because we didn't, if you put God at the center, it's very hard to be hurt by everybody else. God is the center. He runs the world. He runs everything. He's in charge of everything. And you put God center. That's the idea of Malchus. That on Rosh Hashanah we're saying most of the mess we got into is because we did not put you in the front. Human ego, what it's done and how it's destroyed. I mean, think of nuclear power, what it's done. When, you put God, when you're putting God at center, you're using it to heal other people. Right? At the same time, the same chemical compounds, the same chemical makeup is used to bomb entire people, destroy people when you don't put God at center. So number one idea of Malchus is thinking about how in my life I'm going to put God at center. But number two, making small things in life feel small. Making small things in life feel petty. Meaning the reason why you're asked to put God center, it's a hard idea for a modern person to think like that. This idea of making God as king, it's so outdated. But it's not. It's actually a very modern idea. By putting God at the center and everything is makes everything so much bigger. And the small things now are just petty little things that I can't get upset about. They're so small because God is really running the whole show. And when you make God the king, then all those other things become so small. And says Rav Soloveitchik, instead of subordinating oneself to God, one tries to subordinate his God to his own everyday needs. And thus is born the source of stress and nervousness. When everything is about filling my need as opposed to fulfilling God's need, 
then everything else falls into place and becomes just right. So the idea of saying Malchus on Musaf of Rosh Hashanah is ironically, it's therapy. On Musaf of Rosh Hashanah, declaring God as king, what it's doing is saying, I'm going to rise above those problems. You know what it's called? It's called living at higher altitudes. Someone who lives at a low altitude, everything's an issue. But if you rise above, meaning, I'll give you like this. You have nothing important going on right now. There's no one you're helping. There's no one you're giving to. There's no chesed you're doing for anybody. Not children, not family, not community. Nobody's nothing going on. And in your house, you bump your head on the table. That's the most annoying thing in the world. Now imagine you're the president of the United States and there's a tremendous conflict in the world that you're involved in right now and you need to sort out because the whole world's at each other's necks and it's your job to fix it. And while you're dealing with your advisors and your cabinet and everything, you for a moment bump your head. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant because when you're living at higher altitudes, those things become irrelevant. And that's the idea of making a Kaddish Baruch Hu king. By making God the king, you're asking God, I'm going to live my life at a higher altitude. And when you live at that higher altitude, all those other things just dissipate and are not important altogether. May everybody have a sweet and meaningful and boss-like uh, Rosh Hashanah. Thank you very much.